Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Hello, hello there. So I am keeping today's podcast short and sweet with a passage from a small essay collection called Seasons, Desert Sketches by Ellen Malloy. As a side note, I have come to appreciate essay collections in a whole new way over the last year or so. I love having a book on my nightstand or by my reading chair that I can pick up and read for like 10 minutes and still get a complete thought to chew on for the rest of the day. They lend themselves to being picked up and put down, and if you miss a few days of reading, there's no need to try to recall characters or plots. Each piece, you know, stands alone. And this book is just that sort of book. Clocking it at under 85 pages total, it could easily be read in a single sitting. But it's been a book that I've been carrying around with me for a few weeks now, maybe a month or so. And it's just been an essay read here or there while waiting for a doctor's appointment or between errands when I'm feeling stretched a little thin. In an effort to break the scrolling habit that I can easily default to if I'm not paying attention, it has filled those in-between moments with something beautiful and thought-provoking and real. Little glimpses into her life and its connection to the Southern Utah landscape, the way she found belonging within its red rock and desert environment has been an inspiration for me. And this is a theme I come back to again and again, isn't it? This idea of place and how it impacts our lives, our selfhood, our sense of home. I know we've touched on this several times here, especially back in episode seven when we talked about Querencia and in episode 11 when we talked about the language of home. Our relationship to our landscapes, both inner and outer, is an endlessly fascinating idea to me. And, you know, this is likely not the last time it will show up here. So without further ado, here is an excerpt from the essay Guests from Seasons Desert Sketches by Ellen Malloy. A cricket takes up residence in my husband's closet. At night, it sings love songs to his hiking boots. The toad that lives under the mint bushes plops around the breezeway, then flings itself against a window. I think it's headed for the bathtub. These creatures allow us to reside alongside them, to witness their lives. I know that for certain when a bull snake shows up. Bull snakes are harmless, cream-colored reptiles with brown markings. Behind each eye is a stroke of black, like the coal eye makeup of an Egyptian queen. This bull snake starts at the top of the breezeway stairs next to the bleached white hip bone of a cow. She slips down from the bone, her long, supple body perfectly stair-stepped along the contours of the descent. She drops her scarlet tongue into a pool of water left from a hose, and she drinks. I see her cheeks inflate with each sip. I go about my business thinking about a snake that laps up water like a thirsty dog. 
When I return, she has assumed siesta position in a lawn chair, her tail draped over the seat like a casual whip. This snake has an aura of mischief about her, not slow and sinister, but curious, oblivious to us, but not to our possibilities. The snake keeps down the mice and chases off rattlesnakes. The bug-eating birds and lizards are cheaper, safer, and more fun than insecticides. Hummingbirds invite me to fill our lives with flowers. Toads reassure us that there's a lot of sex going on. We think of our domestic wildlife as useful. But I don't know what they think of us, but I know that they, not we, are the hosts on this shaggy piece of desert. One day, I chased two yudas out of my living room. It isn't easy hurting lizards. One night, outside, a tiny bat hooks itself high in the stucco wall to rest. I stand on my head to better observe this upside-down winged mouse. When you're a guest, you adjust. Okay, so clearly, beyond the theme of place, you likely have also picked up on the fact that I love, love, love all writing that invites us in to look more closely at the small and overlooked in our lives. And this essay is no exception. Observing, noticing, this is how we see the richness that pervades our lives. It's disguised as commonplace and ordinary, but there is endless magic and mystery and amusement and learning to be found tucked into the lives that we are living right now, right where we are. We are conditioned in so many ways to look outward, look to the exotic or the different for beauty or experience, and certainly staying open to what is offered in those circumstances is also important. But we train ourselves to see richness and connection in those circumstances by practicing it every single day in the lives we are already living, in the places we are right now. Okay, so... When I was in high school, I had a job as a host at a Bennigan's restaurant. Remember those? Now, it was in a suburb of Chicago and was close enough to a big city that maybe I should not have felt quite so shocked by this. But once um, I was seating a table and everyone in the group was speaking in another language. And, you know, shocker, I was curious. So I asked where they were from, and they replied that they were visiting from Denmark. And, you know, a bit clueless, I asked, here? You traveled all the way from Denmark, and you came to a Bennigan's in Skokie, Illinois? To which they answered enthusiastically in the affirmative and gestured to the restaurant around us, exclaiming how American it was. And I was totally flabbergasted. But later in life, when I began to travel myself, I saw beauty in the way people's laundry hung on the line in Florence or the way the red lentils were piled in woven baskets for sale in a market in Mumbai, India. I have photo after photo of what basically amounts to people's household chores and, you know, grocery shopping because it didn't feel mundane to me. And here's my point. No matter where you live, there is someone in the world who would see your little corner of it as exotic, your laundry possibly worthy of a photograph. 
And instead of waiting to land in Mumbai to notice that there is beauty right in front of us, we can practice seeing our small corners of the world with open, curious eyes and get right to the business of marveling and delighting in them right now. And okay, so this is exactly what underlies the rest of what Malloy is saying here, right? Before she can get to the rest of her point in this passage, she had to be curious and aware and observant enough to see all of the little dramas playing out around her little home, to give them enough of her attention to see some larger lesson, some larger idea at play. A less curious mind sees pests or scary invaders in the snakes and the toads and the crickets. But Malloy says, these creatures allow us to reside along them to witness their lives, to witness, to see, and to reside alongside. Now, this makes me think a little bit about our discussion last week in episode 16 about visibility and where that discussion focused slightly more on the person being seen rather than the one doing the seeing per se. This is a great opportunity to touch on that aspect of it here. To allow curiosity to make the creatures residing alongside us visible so that we can witness their lives is to be connected to them, to feel a larger sense of connection to place and community, right? And that connection can ground us. It can give us roots in a larger community, even if it's only for the length of time a snake lounges in a lawn chair. And while I think our connection to the non-human living things we share our worlds with is, of course, absolutely essential, we can broaden her sentiment here to encompass the humans as well, right? I mean, there are people, visible and invisible to us, that are residing alongside us every day. Our families or folks we share space with, our neighbors, our friends. What happens to our relationships with them when we make an effort to see them more clearly, to witness their lives with attention and care? This is so much of what we talked about last week, right? And also the person who... I don't know, delivers our mail or drives the garbage truck or checks us out at the grocery store or restocks the shelves after the store is closed for the day. When we choose to open our eyes and see those folks that are behind the scenes or whose names we don't know, when we choose to witness their lives, even if it's only one small fraction of their larger story, it becomes very difficult to dehumanize or devalue them to feel that they are other. I mean, it's interesting here where she comments that after watching the bull snake sip water, she goes about her business thinking, quote, about a snake that laps up water like a thirsty dog. Now, while I don't personally have an aversion to snakes, I know plenty of folks do. And by watching the way this bull snake drank water carefully enough to notice its cheeks filling, she was able to see a resemblance between the much feared snake and the much loved dog. This is what happens when we come in close, right? When we look more closely at all the beings that we're residing alongside each day and we choose to pay attention, we see all the ways all of us might share something so small as cheeks that inflate as we drink. It becomes harder to ignore the ways that all beings we reside alongside contribute to our lives the way our lives are interwoven and connected. And 
These connections are relationships, even when they happen in passing or peripherally. And it's in cultivating those relationships that she's invited by hummingbirds to fill their lives with flowers. Not only do the hummingbirds add to her life, but by making sure that she's created a space that welcomes them, she's added all this additional beauty to her life. She gets to enjoy the flowers as well as the hummingbirds. And again, broaden this. How can this play out in our larger communities? What happens when we put forth the effort to create welcoming spaces? How are our lives enriched in unanticipated ways? I immediately think of things like art and music and, you know, food. When we create spaces that are safe and welcoming to people from different places or different backgrounds, not only do we get introduced to new types of music or cuisine or art forms, but collaborations and fusions happen that are utterly unique and special and open whole new experiences to everyone involved and everyone they reach. So look around, get curious. Who can we plant flowers for in our small corners of this world? And as a last point here, she says, but I know that they, not we, are the hosts on this shaggy piece of desert. The animals and the insects and the birds, she says that they are the hosts and the humans are the guests. And that speaks so strongly to the ideas of respect and care and gratitude, right? We have only to consider how we behave as house guests, what's considered generally acceptable behavior when we're guests in someone's home. She says it in the last line of this passage, doesn't she? Where she says, when you're a guest, you adjust. When we visit a friend, we you know, do not go into their homes moving furniture around to our own specifications, right? We don't ransack their fridge or ask them to rearrange their lives to accommodate our every whim. We adjust to their home, to the way their families eat dinner or have the living room arranged. We may bring a little of ourselves to the mix. Some of us may or may not bring coffee along if they are going to a household of tea drinkers, for example. But, you know, we don't upend their worlds to match ours. And here I love how Malloy gently reminds us that while being a guest may require our adjustment, occasionally being willing to stand on our heads can bring us the chance to see something special that we would otherwise have missed. That by tuning in and adapting to the rhythms of the landscape that she's a guest in, she can reside alongside hummingbirds and mischievous bull snakes and big ol' Utah lizards that love her living room. And that adjustment is what allows her to reside alongside them, allows her to witness all of the beauty and hilarity that comes with that. You know, I think there's a, an argument to be made that we are all guests in each other's lives, as well as guests of the planet itself. And when we approach each other and the land as such, it can create an opening for us, a space to get curious about how the other operates, about how we might do a bit of adjusting before assuming that our way is the best or only way. It invites us to pause and to pay attention, to be interested, to observe and learn, and to occasionally stand on our heads to get 
a brand new perspective or to add flowers so that we can all thrive together in even greater beauty and even greater connection. Again, this excerpt is from Seasons, Desert Sketches by Ellen Malloy. And as always, you can find the link in the show notes at cindygivinoli.com backslash podcast. Also, if you are interested, I will also link a piece that KUER, an NPR affiliate in Utah, did on Ellen Malloy back in 2018. This collection is actually made up of essays that she wrote for the radio station in the 1990s before she died in 2004. And the feature includes some of those recordings, which is just really cool. So I will link that in the show notes as well. Now, let's see. This week's listener contribution is from Katie M. And she says, quote, My husband has always claimed Paolo Coelho's book, The Alchemist, as his favorite book of all time. I confess that I've always rolled my eyes a little at this. Honestly, it felt pretentious to me, like saying your favorite book was War and Peace or something by Voltaire while everyone else is over here reading something, quote, fun. I said this to him recently, and he asked if I had ever actually read it, and I sheepishly sheepishly had to admit that I hadn't. So I borrowed a page from your book, Cindy, and decided that I should get curious and give it a shot. And of course, I loved it. Go figure. There were a lot of lines in it that I loved and I thought of sending to you, but for this, for this, but this is the one that I settled on. Quote, when we love, we always strive to become better than we are. When we strive to become better than we are, everyone around us becomes better too. And Katie said, I don't like the term self-improvement, but it really has been the love and relationships in my life that have motivated me to go to therapy and deal with my unhealthy coping mechanisms so that I could be the best version of myself for those I love. That's meant learning to become a better listener and being more forgiving, which is made for better relationships, and I can see where this might be world-changing if we were all trying to do our own parts of it. Oh, I love this, Katie. Thank you. I am actually not a huge fan of the term self-improvement either, and I love how you put this here. Thanks again, and way to stay curious with this. Alrighty, so next week we will be talking about one of two books, but since I have not actually entirely decided just yet, I'm going to keep it a surprise. So mysterious, right? Okay, so until then, you know what to do. Be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word.